What's going on, everybody, and welcome into the Golden Homers podcast. With you, as always, is myself, Nathan Erbach. Unfortunately, Mason Plummer, my co-host, could not be with us today. He had some prior work commitments. However, we do have a special guest for you guys, Tom Loy of Irish Illustrated and 24-7 Sports. We're talking Cal. We're talking UNC. We have our over-unders, score predictions, bold predictions for you guys, as always. And, of course, because it's Tom Loy, recruiting guru, best on the beat, we do have to talk a little recruiting. So we're going to bring that to you guys as well. It's going to be a fun show, and I'm uh, excited to have Tom on with you guys. Let's get after it. All right, Notre Dame fans. Like I said in our intro, we have a special guest today, Tom Loy from Irish Illustrated and 24-7 Sports. Unfortunately, Mason couldn't be here today. He had some prior work commitments um, out in the uh, New Jersey area, so he didn't really have enough time to get on. But uh, obviously, always fun to have Tom Loy on. He's been on our spaces. He's been on our podcast before. Good friend of the show. Good friend of myself and Mason. And uh, Tom, how are you doing today? Doing all right. I don't know if really unfortunate that Mason can't be there is the word. You know, sometimes it's a blessing in disguise, but no, that's my guy. I'm just kidding. But good to be here, man. Always good to catch up with you. Yeah, I didn't want to say anything, but, you know, he's ditching out on the Las, Las Vegas trip so we can give him a little yeah, crap for it. Still so. not happy about that. Still <laughs> not happy about that, but we'll allow it. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, Tom, real quick, I mean, I, I kind of ran through what we're going to do today. Uh, I think we're only going to have one podcast this week, so we're going to do kind of everything in one. So uh, we're going to run through our bold predictions, our, our, our predictions for the score against, against North Carolina um, this week, do some over-unders and uh, do some fan questions and stuff like that. But first and foremost, I, I haven't really heard your take on the Cal game and, and how that went, like maybe where you see Notre Dame going forward, some positives, some negatives coming out of that game. What were your maybe some takeaways uh, in Marcus Freeman's first win as Notre Dame's head coach? Yeah, it didn't start great. Um, it was a rough start. There was some snickering in the press box where people were like, is this, is this about to happen again? And, but the good thing was that, that for the lackluster start by the Notre Dame offense, Cal was right there with them and, and Notre Dame's defense stepped up and, um, but yeah, it was, it was kind of wild early on and, and, um, it obviously ended up pretty fun and was nice to see Notre Dame get a, get a W, um, and then obviously everybody's talking about the, the Tommy Reese moment and Drew Pine and everything like that. Like, I mean, knowing these guys fairly well, I would say, and really in Drew, knowing him as long as I, I have, I mean, this dude is, he is super competitive, man. This is not something where people are like, man, this is Tommy went a little too far. No, like this is completely fine and a regular thing for Drew to handle. Um, so that was, that was my big takeaway was like this dude, took the heat and realized it. And it was kind of a gut check moment for him. And this was a moment he wanted, like he, he understood the moment. There was nobody more fired up, more excited, more anxious and ready to get out there and make plays and, and really show that he, in his mind, he should have won the job, you know, outright. And uh, so I think he pressed a little bit early. Um, I think he was squeezing the ball a little too tight and he just needed to loosen up. And um, I, I thought he bounced back in a big way and had a really good second half. I mean, this, this, the stats weren't, you know, crazy and big and he didn't throw for 300 yards or anything like that, but he threw the ball well, he threw the ball accurately, he made some, made some really nice touch throws. Um, I would still like to see them stretch the field, take a few shots downfield and that's going to happen. You know, we'll get, we'll get into that when it comes to North Carolina and stuff, but, but overall, my big takeaway was that I, I feel comfortable with Drew Pine. I said it before the game that. I think he can win you a lot of football games, and I feel I feel really good about that. I feel good about it, you know, after this game, and and I I had confidence that they were going to get the W. And but overall, he played well enough to to get them some wins um, moving forward. I thought the defensive line had a had a nice showing. It was nice, especially in the late in the game. It was nice seeing like the Isaiah Foskey we kind of expected and Jacob Lacey. Um, wow, what a game, right? Like I mean, I thought I really thought he should have been defensive player of the game. I know Notre Dame's defensive player of the game was Foskey, but I thought Jacob Lacey was, was terrific. I really, man, I look at what Chris O'Leary and, and uh, Mike Mickens have done with the secondary, man. And they, these guys are growing. They, they, they really are. And they've come a long way and uh, it's pretty, pretty good to see because I thought they played well and they are absolutely going to need to this weekend. So, but, but overall, man, I think, I think Notre Dame fans should be encouraged about their, their performance from, you know, wouldn't say from start to finish, but, you know, basically in the second half. 
Yeah, I echo a lot of the thoughts that you mentioned in regards to Drew Pine specifically. He just looked like a kid that was a little nervous, a little lost out there to begin the, to begin the game. But I think, I mean, I don't know Drew Pine personally. I know you do just kind of from covering his recruitment and stuff like that, but he's always felt like a confident kid. So it was, it was that, that was the weird part is that first, it seemed like kind of like an anomaly. Um, and, and I wasn't expecting that to be the case. Um, but it's funny, I actually have the stats right here on where, so pre Tommy Reese yelling at him versus post Tommy Reese yelling at him. This is what it was. It was three completions for um, three, uh, three for eight. Uh, so a 38% completion percentage and like 19 yards before the, the ash chewing afterwards, it was 14 for 15. So a 93% completion percentage, 117 yards and two touchdowns. And it ended up being around, I think like eight yards per attempt, which is pretty solid. So like, forget the first half, right? Like look at those numbers in the second half and pretend that's your first half. Like if he does that in the first half against North Carolina, people are going to be like stoked. They're going to be like, right, right. Fine. This is what we want to see. So, I mean, I just, he was a guy that was pressing that first pass to, I think it was Michael Mayer through yeah. the ground. Like that's not him. This guy is extremely accurate with the football. That is 100% a guy that like, all right, I want to make plays. I want to get things done. I want to get the end zone. I want to, you know, whatever. I'm going to press and he's squeezing the ball too tight and he just let it, you know, threw it in the ground. Like that's all it was. I, I, people were making way too much about that start. I knew he was going to settle in and, you know, get it out of the way, get the, get the victory. And I, I really do feel much more confident now that all that kind of, kind of happened going into week, in the second week now. Absolutely. And in his defense, I think the whole team got better in the second half too. the oh, offensive yeah. line started getting a huge push. They got kind of rid of those stupid penalties. I know the offense, I think the offensive line played fairly well in the first half, to be honest as well, but they had, I think three false starts in the first half, another one on a QB sneak by Braden Lindsay, which is, I mean, arguably inexcusable. I mean, you just got to stand there when you're a wide receiver in that situation. Um, Lorenzo styles dropped an easy pass. Um, I don't think we're going to see him doing that too often. So um, it wasn't just Drew Pine. And I, I, I even said that prior to his, I think it was the, the, the play that he, or the, the series where he fumbled and then also the series where he missed like Michael Mayer uh, oh. uh, down the middle. Those were yeah. the two series that like right after those series, that's when Tommy Reese started yelling at him. But prior to that was when he was getting no help from anybody. That was right. after the, the Lorenzo Styles drop. You know, he, I mean, there was a couple, like I said, the false starts here and there. I mean, who knows what that first drive does if, if, if they get the first down and they kind of keep going. So who knows? But, I, was um, I was laughing with Matt Freeman over at ISD and we were, we were looking at the false start with Blake Fisher and you just see him kind of like do a slight rock and he's kind of like just squeezing his legs, like his yeah. lower <laughs> kind of hold. And then all of a sudden he kind of tumbles back. But um, I really, we didn't, I, I didn't single them out. Like those guys, that was by far the best of the three games by the offensive line. I mean, everybody was calling for Zeke Carell's head. And uh, I thought for a guy much smaller than a guy he was going against, I mean, that dude, Zeke had a really good game. So again, more confidence in that group moving forward. Um, but like you said, perfect storm where Drew threw some nice passes. He got no help. He had some drops. And then when he actually guys were getting open, he would overthrow Michael Mayer, like just perfect storm for a, as you gave the stats, a really, really bad first half. Yep. Yeah. And then I think to the offensive line, I mean, that, that was a good Cal defense. It's underrated yeah. probably because the program itself isn't very good. It's probably one of the worst power five offenses in reality. Um, I mean, I think they have some weapons. I mean, that, that uh, J Michael Sturdivant kid was a kid that was, you know, recruited yeah. by Notre Dame. And um, I think he's going to put up some good numbers for them this year, next year. But, um, but that Cal defense is, is pretty solid. So uh, the fact that they were able to get the push against them, and then in the second half, obviously, we saw the numbers from Drew Pine, the way that they played in the second half as a, as a whole, and obviously the running game getting going. I mean, what was it? Chris Tyree had like something like 22 touches. I mean, that's that's huge. Um, I don't know if I want to see him getting 22 touches per game. You'd like to see the uh, the wide receivers get a little bit more involved. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, we probably don't have to touch on it too more. It was a bad first half and a very, very good second half overall for the for most of the team, so – um, some good stuff there, but, and, and again, I echo a lot of the thoughts that you, that you mentioned. I mean, you, you brought up, you know, the defensive line as a whole um, played much better in the second half and outside of uh, a JD Bertrand penalty, we wouldn't have had the heartache or have the, the heart attacks that we did on that, on that last drive. So 
Um, I, I'm expecting much better play from the team moving forward, not only on offense, but just as a team as a whole. So um, wanted to get into a little bit of North Carolina before we get into some of these predictions and stuff like that. Um, do you know for, I, I guess I should ask this first, do you know for a fact if Downs is playing, is that official? I mean, it's that never a back? fact, but, but I feel very confident that he's going to play. Yeah. Gotcha, gotcha. You know, Marcus mentioned it in his press conference that he was, you know, he had said that he had heard he was going to play and um, everybody at our North Carolina site, InsideCarolina.com, they seem to mention that Josh is going to play and um, dude, difference maker. Yeah. So, yeah. I was going to say, of course, he's back for the Notre Dame game, but you know, it is what it is. That's, that's a guy you were expecting on the field when the season started. So it's hard to complain too much. And right. you know, and vice versa for Notre Dame, if, if they had some guys healthy that they don't have healthy right now, then it'd be kind of the same situation. So, but, um, but yeah, I mean, what, what's kind of your take on North Carolina? They seem kind of almost the opposite of Notre Dame. They can't stop anybody, <laughs> but they, but they can, they can pretty much score on anybody. Yeah. They like to give up 40 points in a, in a single quarter um which came in the fourth quarter to app state following a third quarter where i don't think they gave up a single point so i I don't know what to really take about this team um this is a really intriguing game because you have a team like you said north carolina doesn't really look like they can stop anybody um they've averaged about 50 points a game offensively uh probably i don't know it looks like it's in the 40s or something defensively so kind of wild i mean is this (laughs) but then if you're looking at Notre Dame, which struggles, has not gotten 30 yet. I mean, obviously they had it for a second and then it was called back on, on the Bracey touchdown, but they're going to have to, I'm assuming they're going to have to score 30 points to win this game, right? Like, I don't think anybody's going to come out and be like, oh, Notre Dame's going to squeak by or North Carolina's going to squeak by 24-21. I mean, I'm not going to predict that and, and maybe you are and shock me, but I just, I think this is a game where North Carolina is obviously throws the ball at a really high level. Josh Downs is phenomenal um i remember seeing him a couple years ago i've gotten to know him pretty well too and uh just terrific kid and got to know him really well in san antonio at the all-american bowl and i mean he really blew up that week and i i told him i was like bro like i know we're not going to name you a five star and that's just not going to happen but you know i think you're arguably the best receiver in the damn country like he is such a talent and and uh he's a great kid and and um you know i hope for nothing but success out of that kid and and really that whole family, obviously everybody knows about Caleb Downs and things like that, but got to know Josh in San Antonio, got to see him again at Steve Clarkson's quarterback retreat. He came out there. Um, not really sure why, but he was out there pretty cool though. And, and uh, so we were just kind of chopping it up for a bit. And, uh, but this dude is uh, next level talent, man. And, and that's the guy like you, he's going to get his, it just, he's not going to leave this game with two catches for 12 yards. So he's going to get his, you try to limit it the best you can. Um, very similar to how Ohio State was was dealing with Jackson Smith and Jigba. Like those guys are going to get theirs. Obviously, his was a little different story, and he got banged up. But the and I mentioned them earlier. But the play of the secondary gives me hope to where I think this Notre Dame team can actually limit him, limit this offense. I don't think they're going to score fifty points in North Carolina. I'm meaning, so it wouldn't surprise me if it was definitely a game that's in the thirties. I don't see it in the twenties. That would be a phenomenal effort by the defense, but they, they have playmakers on offense, but I do think there's enough firepower on this Notre Dame offense. And I do say enough, not much, but I do think there's enough where it wouldn't surprise me if they're able to get a, get a W. Yeah, no. And you mentioned, uh, I was, I was going to say like Josh Downs comes from a good family. I mean, obviously yeah. with, the, with Caleb Downs being a five-star committed to what is it, Alabama. Um, so, I mean, obviously a really talented kid there. And uh, Josh Downs, no different. And I, I think the good thing about this matchup for Notre Dame is they're kind of used to this. Um, you yeah. look at USC in the, in the past couple of years with them not, you know, they haven't been what they are this year per se on offense, but they always bring in weapons at receiver. I mean, the last couple of years, they've had Drake London on the outside. The Notre Dame's had to kind of quote unquote contain and let him get his, but then like make sure everybody else is kind of locked down. Obviously we know about Amon Ross St. Brown a few years back. That's your boy. Um, and honestly, even with North Carolina, the same thing that Josh Downs was on the roster last year. And he was the guy that you had to kind of contain to get to, to kind of keep things going. And they had a great quarterback in Sam Howe. They have another really good quarterback in Drake May, who I personally think could be a number one pick in the draft down the road. I'm pretty high on the kid. So um, there's no, uh, there's no secret that the, uh, North Carolina football team is based on offense and, 
Um, I, I think they can honestly score on anybody. It just depends on if they're going to be able to stop some of those better teams. Crazy with a team like that, like if they could put together a defense, if they could get a couple playmakers on defense, like what, or the right coordinator to come in. Like if they had Marcus Freeman come in when he was, you know, on the rise, instead of he, instead of going to Notre Dame, he went to North Carolina. Like if he could put together a defense or crew to defense for a couple of years and you mix it with that offense. I mean, that's, I don't know. That would be something special. And that's what could put him over the hump. But I don't know this defense. I just, they don't, they don't look very strong. And, but again, if Notre, if Notre Dame doesn't score any points and they can't get the ball rolling and they can't execute, it's going to be a long day. And, and, and really like a long season, because if they can't score against these guys, I don't know what you think you're going to do against some of the teams, you know, moving forward because BYU is no joke. Stanford's no joke. Clemson, USC. There's some, there's some very, very talented teams on the schedule. It's not going to get any easier. That's the fun part about North, about Notre Dame. And there's no, there's no cupcakes. So we'll see what happens, but yeah, this is going to be a fun one and it's going to, I think you're going to learn a lot about this team this weekend. Absolutely. Absolutely. And we can get into kind of some keys of the game real quick. And one thing that kind of popped into my mind when you were talking is if they're able to run the ball, like they did in the second half against Cal and kind of have that ball control offense to where not only do they keep the score down a little bit, and that's maybe where you can kind of keep this uh, 35 to 28 game in a victory, because I think North Carolina is going to score when they have the football, at least at times. I mean, maybe the Notre Dame defense can make a few stops. Maybe they finally get that first turnover. Um, but if, if you can just run the rock against, against North Carolina and have, you know, maybe a seven or eight minute drive at times that just kind of keeps that offense off the field. Um, and then also put it in the end zone on top of that. Don't hold for three, don't miss field goals. Don't, you know, maybe turn the ball over in the red zone or get stalled like on the 40 yard line where you have to, when you're having to punt with John Sod or something like that, that's where not only is the game going to maybe be lower scoring than some of the other North Carolina games, but it could also say, okay, Notre Dame had a good offensive game plan and they produced the, or they executed the offensive game plan and the offense looked efficient, even if it's not them putting up 50 points. So um, that's kind of my key to the game, at least, at least from an offensive perspective is sort of do your best to keep North Carolina off the field. Um, but also produce points because I don't think Notre Dame is going to be like you said, they're not going to just have 50 yard bombs to Lorenzo styles all day long to keep up with them from that perspective. They're, they're going to have to have a little bit of more ball control offense. I mean, that sounds like what they were trying to do against Ohio state and, and Marcus kind of even mentioned that after the, after the game, but um, they, they can't, you know, they can't just depend on that. And just because they haven't shown it yet. And I think, I think Tyree and SMA combined for four yards of carry on, on paper. Um, my thing is I, I love the return of Logan Diggs, healthy, a week off, probably could have gone last week, didn't, a little extra week for a little extra time to, you know, recover um, from the offseason injury and everything. So I like that. I think he's a guy who could really surprise a lot of people and, and really have that, that breakout game um, just because he's such a good do-it-all kind of guy. So I could see him being a – a breakout but I mean I would love to see Michael Mayer have a 10 catch 100 yard game I think that that's the guy that you need to count on um I don't think there's a uh defensive back or linebacker on North Carolina's roster that can that can hang with him um his offseason work um it's it's showing his route his route running uh his ability to just kind of shake guys at the line of scrimmage like I mean, his move that he made on the ball that was sent over his head uh, by Drew Pine was, I mean, that's just, this dude's different, man. We've talked about it for years, but it's just kind of, his game is really coming together and we just haven't really seen it yet um, this season. And, and really this could be the game for it. So I know he's going to be a, a frequent and frequented target for, for Pine this weekend, but I want to see Tyree get a lot of touches. I want to see Mayer get a lot of touches. I want to see Logan Diggs get a lot of opportunities um, I know Estime is in there as well. And, and, but I just really, I like Estime a lot, but I really like that combination of, of Tyree and Diggs and just really like what they do as a tandem. So I don't know, man, it's going to be, uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm pretty excited about this one though, because I really think it's going to be that the offensive output that people were, I wouldn't even say that they were hoping for, but I just think that, like I said, I think it could kind of come together this weekend or at least it needs to. Um, so we'll see what happens. Are you going down to Chapel Hill? 
No, I'll be in uh, I'll be in New York this weekend with the wife. Um, we're taking. Oh yeah, yeah, I knew that. Actually. For a couple of days, but I will be in some. I guess there's two Notre Dame watch parties that they have every week for every every game, and and I'm going to one of them. I'm going to hang out. I think a couple of the guys sent me private messages on site said they might stop by there. They're from the area, so looking forward to that. But but no, I won't be uh, in Chapel Hill, but I will be in Las Vegas, and I can't wait for that one. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, awesome. Well, before we get into the predictions, let's do some over unders real quick. I think I sent you some, so you had some time to mull these over. My my the first one for me is. Uh, Lorenzo Styles, 45 and a half receiving yards. Um, I, I think I know what I'm going to do on this one, um, especially with like I th- how the offense is going to be th- this weekend. But uh, what are your thoughts on, on Lorenzo Styles receiving yards? I'm going to take the over, and I think it happens on one play. I really do. I think okay. that I think everybody says, oh, Drew Pine doesn't have an arm and doesn't have the yeah, – he'll be fine. I really would – I think they wouldn't surprise me they take a deep shot or they as the catch and run um you know they kept running those crossing routes that set you up for a guy to bite you know you get Braden coming on a crossing route pump fake there might be able to take a deep shot or a post or something like that I could see I could see Lorenzo Styles being an impact guy um on one of those big plays for Notre Dame that we we're talking about that they need um so I'm going to say over for for Styles and I I could see it you know a long one um, I could see it happening in one play. So yeah, no, I like that because, uh, like you mentioned, I mean earlier when we were talking about the Cal game, they didn't really take any deep shots. I mean, I think their 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 longest pass, at least from an attempt attempted standpoint, was around 15 yards, maybe. Um, so that maybe you maybe North Carolina is not expecting it, so it might be something that you can kind of trick them on um, or something like that. But it, it was it was drastic difference from Buckner when they definitely took deep shots right. against, against, uh, UNC, I mean, against, uh, Ohio state and Marshall and just didn't, weren't able to complete a lot of them, um, to last week where they really relied on the running back screens and the running backs, you know, just out of the backfield. And, um, you, you saw almost nothing down the field at all. So, um, I think he's going to go over as well. I mean, I think part of it is just the fact that they are going to score more points and they're going to get the receivers more involved because of that. Um, so yeah, I'm going over and I would love to see it be over on one play because I, would and be- I, get, I get like taking what, you know, what they give you and if they're playing off and they're giving you the underneath and you're going to take it, no problem. Cool. Like I get it. I get the dink and dunk offense. People make it seem like it's a negative. Like I get it. Take what they give you, but I just don't see that being the case. And I expect them to, um, have enough confidence in their DVs to, to put them on an Island. And, um, it wouldn't surprise me if he was able to shake somebody and, and, and beat somebody deep and just got to make the catch. Um, so ideally I would love to see a, a nice play with a crossing route. Like I said, pump fake, hit him over the top. Be nice to see. So Lorenzo yep. needs that. I think, I think he needs that confidence too, that confidence builder um, to really, you know, take his play up a notch. Yep. And I could see that long pass to, to Lindsay as well. So that would be, be awesome if they had a couple of them. So um, how about this one? This one's kind of more more of a joke than anything, but the ND defense, 0.5 turnovers. <laughs> it better be over. Um, it's it's they are it's easy to say that because they're due, like it's gonna happen. Just is it gonna happen this weekend? Um, but it's I wish we would have tried to make a prediction for a specific player. Um because I mean there's guys like Bo Bauer that are just always around the football and like might just get his hands on one of a tip ball or something like that. But no, I mean, a strip sack would be nice for like Isaiah Foskey or yeah. Brandon Joseph, get him in the open field after a pick. But um, if they can get an early pick, I think that really sets the tone. Um, or if they could get a, a strip sack, really kind of just ruffle the feathers of Drake May. I think that's the key. Obviously, you throw to a receiver and he just pops loose or whatever. They can bounce back for that. But if you can rattle um, a young quarterback, I think that's going to be key. But I do feel good about it. I think they're going to go over um just not really sure where it's going to come from i think it'd be a big sigh of relief like you said if they were able to get it early just because yeah. you could almost tell in that last series last week that they were pressing for it a little bit right, right, pick, right and then it looked like you had the pick and you know obviously bertrand had the penalty that that offset that and then you know you you had the fumble that was not a fumble and then you, you know like i think in general if if, if they had like a couple interceptions on the season or even a couple just turnovers in general on the season, you probably see Brandon Joseph bat that ball down instead of trying to pick it off. But I think he was really just trying to get that first one and obviously a, a teaching moment for him. But 
Um, but no, it's that you can tell they're almost pressing about it and it's right. uh, something that they need to, uh, hopefully, like you said, happens in that first quarter, maybe on the first drive or something like that. It doesn't have to be an interception, but Foskey gets in there. He's, I mean, he's always been money on those strip sacks in the past. So, um, and it, oh, I, th- I thought, I thought he was going to have a few last week. I'll be honest. The one sack he had on Plummer where he kind of just ragdolled him a little bit. Oh um, yeah. That, I, that I was thought he, what's up? That was violent. Yeah. That yeah. was. Yeah, I, I thought that was I thought he was going to fumble the ball there, to be honest. So, um, yeah, no, I, I think it comes this week. It might not be Drake May throwing an interception, but, you know, you might get a fluky turnover or something like yeah. that. And it sets the tone. But um, last one here, um, Notre Dame, one and a half punts on the day. If they're going to punt the ball one and a half times. Yeah. Uh, like, do they go do they, so they punt? last week? I'll take the over. No, I expect okay. I expect I expect more than one punt. I mean, if they don't, let's. I mean, people are going to be singing the praises of Tommy Reese. But no, I'll, I'll take the over, especially with the fact that like if they're going to side one way or the other on a close call, and they they know how how well they've punted the football so far this year. Um, Stott's been a he's probably been the most valuable player of this team so far this year. So right. not a good thing for three three weeks, but. Um, no, I'll, I'll take the over on that. I mean, they've, they've punted at such a high level, um, and they don't want to just give Drake made the ball at like their own 40. They're not going to get too risky, but, um, yeah, I'll take the over. Yeah. I think I'm going to go over to maybe a little bit, maybe slightly. I mean, two points right. in the game is not crazy. Um, especially in a high scoring one. I mean, if they, yeah. they can, they can win this game 35 to 28 or something like that. And they can, they can only have two punts or less than two punts possible. How about two punts just in the fourth quarter when they're up like 21? Right, right. Well, we'll just we'll just go with that. We'll just, yeah. Well, I'm hoping it's not two punts or or whatever when you're up 24 to 17 like they were against Cal and they just decided to sit on the ball and not yeah, get creative. Right. I'm hoping they. I kind of hope they learned their lesson from that week because they could have Nothing ended that game a lot sooner than it needed to be. Nothing more frustrating than that. Yeah. I, I I'll never understand that when when like an offense starts to be they get in a groove and then they just go vanilla like flatline. Yeah. I never understand that. I don't. I don't understand the prevent defense when you're up, and then all of a sudden you're only up score. Yeah, just play um, your normal defense, even playing all game. I don't get that. I'll never understand that. There's not a coach. I guess there's not a coach that I've specifically asked, but maybe one day I'll ask Marcus that. But I, I, I that baffles me every time because it's always a close game. It always ends up being a close game. Some score, yeah. some team scores two or three touchdowns, and then you're back, and it's unnecessary drama well because like one of the things i saw from a couple you know the 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 maybe 10 cal fans there are (laughs) i saw some stuff on twitter earlier this week and they were like they were pissed at the refs and i think deservingly so and at least in regards to the offsides penalty where groupie missed the field goal but um and the notre dame obviously went down and scored but at the end of that game i mean i I don't think any cal fan could sit there and say the last the second half wasn't dominated by notre dame and by the time that it was 24 to 17 or, or if that penalty didn't matter, you know, and I know the game changes a little bit, you know, when that kind of stuff happens, but let's just say it was 17 to 17 because that's what the points that were put on the board outside of that. Notre Dame wouldn't have been sitting on the ball those last two possessions then, and they right. probably would have scored on one of them. And maybe the score ends up being the same, but just, you know, in a different way. So I don't know. I, I think blame the refs. I, I try really hard not to blame the refs because I think it really goes both ways. I mean, I think Notre Dame gets held on almost every play on their defensive line, and it's it's just hard because they don't call it enough. And it's I don't know. I, I hate blaming refs these days. I try really hard not to. Yeah, I saw those guys walking out when I was in the tunnel. I saw them walking out, and uh, they looked. They had that look like, man, this was a long day, and yeah. it was almost like a frustrating day for them too. So um, I'm sure they don't love it either. So it's it can be a challenge. That's ch- that's a hard job, man, being a ref. There's yeah, no, no, no there's a, nobody ever really says like great job. Like it's all, it's a negative lose, lose situation. So yeah. When yeah. the game ends and it's like, you're not blaming the refs, it's never because they did a good job. It's you, you never <laughs> want to, you, you just say, Oh, our team played well. But if, if the, if you're not, right. I've come out of several games without any issues with the refs, but I'm never sitting there like, Oh man, the refs had a really good game. Oh, the heck of a game. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, I want to get into bold predictions here as well. I have a, I have a fun one that I don't think I've actually mentioned. Well, actually I I threw it on Twitter. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's going to go kind of go off of that, but go ahead and do your bold prediction first and then I'll, I'll I'll do mine real quick. Um, so just a bold prediction. Um, I think I kind of gave it, gave it earlier and I don't, I don't think he's done it in a while, but I was kind of leaning towards 
Michael Mayer just having a clean 10 catch, 100 plus yard game. Um, I know we haven't really seen much out of him this year. It's been a little quiet on that front. I think he's got I don't know, 15 catches so far this year, something like that. But and obviously the Marshall that, game was bigger than people expect, but no one cared because they lost. Oh, that was yeah. Let's not talk about that. Um, but I'm leaning towards I'm leaning towards that. Um, but my other my other bold prediction was um, was uh, I was thinking about this earlier. Oh, two. I don't know who. I didn't have a prediction of necessarily who. But one guy in the secondary gets two interceptions this game. Um, I don't know when it's going to happen, but, but, but that was the kind of – I was leaning offense and defense. So I had two picks by an individual player in the secondary. Kind of wanted to say Brandon Joseph, but I wasn't going to pigeonhole it. And then the other one was 10-plus uh, and 100 yards for Michael Mayer um, this weekend, which obviously would be, would be massive. So, Gotcha. No, I think that's, that's good. I hope I mean, that's bold enough for you, but we'll see. The mayor one would make, I think, make a lot of people happy just because, yeah. you know, he's supposed to be the best player on the field at all times kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, here is the one that I was. So last week, my bold prediction was that Tyree was going to match or go above what he had in touches for the season, which was 12 yeah. and two games. Obviously, he surpassed that in uh, in the um, the Cal game. So this week I did my did my research the, and the Notre Dame wide receivers have a total of 19 catches for 296 yards through through two or three games which is an average of about six for 96 i'm not going to go as far to say that they have 19 for 296 because that seems excessive but i'm going to say that they double the their average on the year so they're going to have about the receivers just in their just in their totality so take out michael mayer take out the running backs they're going to have about 12 for 180 something Okay. And, or, or more. So, and that, that's kind of my big, bold prediction well, for this week. 12 for 180 plus without including Michael Mayer. That would, if we both hit, like if I hit and you hit, yeah. Drew Pond is going to have a day. Yeah, uh, that would be huge. And, my, and last week, my big, bold prediction, my other bold prediction was that Pine was going to have zero turnovers and it got ruined with the stupid fumble. Oh, yeah. But he had, but outside of that, he really had nothing else. So like, I almost felt like I hit on my bold prediction last week, because when you watched the, watch the Marshall game, you just kind of assumed there'd be a pick in there somewhere on yeah. a bad throw, but I was kind of happy that he didn't really have any of those. Damn. If all those, if all those hit, we get a, two picks by Brandon Joseph, Michael Mayer, 10 for a hundred and your receivers go for basically 200 yards. Whew. Yeah, 12 for 180 shouldn't be like this bold prediction, but unfortunately that's where we're at. <laughs> yeah. It's really like six for hundred is the bold prediction, but no, we'll uh that would be that would be a heck of a game. Drew people would be singing praises of Tommy Reese, Drew Pine, the rest of the guys. So all right. So, like you said, uh Tom, if we both hit on those bold predictions, it would be uh, quite a sight for the Notre Dame offense. And I think it uh, might give some heart attacks for Notre Dame fans almost in a good way because we haven't seen it this year. So um hopefully the hopefully those are the heart attacks that fans are getting after this week and uh, or during this game. And we can maybe put to rest a little bit of the Tommy Reese talk and some of the other stuff, at least for a week. Um, or two weeks then, actually, because don't they have a bye before BYU? So we yep. can have a fun, a fun two weeks before Vegas and, <laughs> and stuff like that. So, um, all right. So you've had some time to think about it. Uh, what, what are you sort of feeling like in your, in regards to the game and I guess maybe a score prediction. So it's pretty much a pick them. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I've really been going back and forth, but, but that's kind of where I settle. I, I really do think it's going to be a close game. Um, if there's a blow blowout one way or the other, then um, North Carolina's, defense was worse than expected. Notre Dame's offense was better than expected or vice versa. And Notre Dame's defense struggled and, and Notre Dame's offense was expected, uh, was what they were expected to be. But I'm kind of settling on 30, I want to say 38, 34, Notre Dame takes the win. Um, I was going back and forth between that. And really the, the, the big thing I was thinking about was the first team to 30. First team to 30 is uh, who I think ends up winning. So I have to be watching for that. But um, yeah, that's kind of where my head's at. I think it's going to be a close game. I give the edge to Notre Dame defensively, um, a strong edge to them defensively. Obviously, North Carolina has the more productive, the better offense at this point. But I feel like Notre Dame's offense can do more 
And I just don't, I don't have a lot of faith in North Carolina defense. So um, if Al Golden and the boys can step up, um, I, I like, I like Notre Dame with a slight win. So here are the teams that North Carolina has played this year, Florida A&M, Appalachian State, which we know is a, you know, a decent group of five yeah. program. They beat Texas A&M. They beat a couple other programs here and there, and they're, they're a solid program. So credit to them, but, and then Georgia State. So while they put up a lot of points and their offense has been prolific, they haven't really played anybody, at least in my opinion, of any substance. And the reason I'm – so I'm going to go Notre Dame here as well, um, and I'm actually going to say that they kind of shut down the North Carolina offense more than people expect. Um, I'm not going to say they hold them into, like, the teens or something like that, high 20s or is low 30s maybe. Um, so they're still going to get theirs. But, like, even though Notre Dame's offense has not been prolific against someone like Marshall, for example – They've played two power five programs and two power five programs that have really good defenses in Ohio state, which going into the year, it was maybe a little bit subs, you know, suspect on what was going to happen. We knew Jim Knowles would kind of figure it out, but we didn't know how quickly. And then we, and we just talked about it, how we know that even though Cal is not a good program overall, their defense is a good program. And they're like, I think they're known for essentially holding teams under their, um, their season average, which I, it was kind of early to kind of say what Notre Dame season average is going to be. But I have a feeling that by the end of the year, Notre Dame is going to be scoring more than 24 points more often than they aren't. So, um, or sorry, tw like 24 points plus more often um, than they're not, even though the first two weeks didn't demonstrate that. So I'm going to say something along the lines of like 34-27. I think that's kind of where I'm leaning right now, Notre Dame. Um, I think that it's possible one of those one of those um, touchdowns, unfortunately, or not unfortunately, but isn't it isn't necessarily an offensive oriented touchdown. Maybe it's a good field position because of a kick return. Maybe it's a, you know, a, a forced fumble or an interception that gives you a short field and you're able to score from there. Maybe it is a pick six or a fumble recovery for 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 a touchdown. So maybe not all of Notre Dame's points will be offensive. Um, but I think they do enough offensively. I think they're going to be able to run the ball well enough. And as for as good as North Carolina is offensively, I don't think their offensive line is anything to write home about. I think it's maybe, maybe decent to solid. And you can maybe, you can probably back me up or, or tell me I'm wrong on this, Tom, but that's kind of the vibe I've gotten is that while they have Drake, you know, Drake may, and they get, you know, Josh Downs back, and obviously they've scored all these points against, like I said, not great opponents overall. Um, I think they're almost in for somewhat of a reality check this week when they play a, a program that, you know, obviously is down one and two right now, and they're not playing their best football. But anybody that's watched Notre Dame this year hasn't really said much about how the Notre Dame defense is the reason. And, you know, they just haven't had the turnovers that they've maybe needed to kind of be an elite defense. So I think they hold, I think they hold North Carolina fairly well this week and, and they win a, a close game, but it might even be one of those games where it's 34 to 20 with like three minutes left and, you know, almost a garbage time touchdown where they have to recover an onside kick to have a chance um, kind of thing for North Carolina. That's kind of what I'm predicting. And maybe, maybe I'm dumb for doing it, but I don't know what, what North Carolina has done this year doesn't impress me in the sense that you know, they haven't done it against the team that I feel like I'm like, wow, that, that, that's something that is crazy. And that's, and I'll, and I'll say with, with that, I do think they have a great offense. I've said that throughout the podcast. I think they can almost score against anybody. Um, but when you get that first taste of an actually borderline elite defense, I think it's a different story than, um, than the Georgia States and the Florida A&Ms of the world. Yeah. I think this could be a reality check for them. Um, and for that offense and Notre Dame's defense is by far the best they're going to play this year at this point. Um, and there's some nasty dudes along that defensive line. And I think that could be like, wow, these guys are good. And Drake's like, I don't have as much time as I've had the last three weeks. So that's a reality check. And, and you got to deal with it. And, and some kids like, I mean, nothing but love for, for Drake, Drake, man. I mean, he is an absolute stud and he's going to be a dude. Um, and he is now, but, but he's only going to get better. But, but right now, I think he's to that point where he can get rattled a little bit. But he's a confident kid. He's a cocky kid. Um, I'm a big fan. But but I do think he's in that point where um, these guys, if they play, you know, if this was like that Jacob Lacey coming out moment. He gets after it and it frees up Isaiah Fossey and, and the rest of the guys. Like they, they, they could have a they could have a field day back there 
Uh, North Carolina's offensive line is good, not great. And um, they, they, I think they hit the, the portal. And, you know, I just, I feel like there is, I could see what you're saying and I get it. And I think they, they could be rattled. Um, but man, if it's 34 to 20 with three minutes, three minutes left and it's Notre Dame's game in the bag. I mean, I think people are going to have, um, I think they're going to have some high hopes for this team moving forward. Yeah, no, that'd be that. I think that would almost make the Marshall game an anomaly for some fans. Um Maybe it's not. Maybe it is. I, I'm not convinced it's one way or the other yet. Um, I think Notre Dame is essentially just as likely to go nine and three as they are like seven and five at this point. So um, we'll 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 see how it goes from here. But I don't know. I, I think Notre Dame's had their reality check, and I think it might be time for for UNC to have theirs. So I think that's kind of where I'm leaning. But don't want to get out of here before we talk a little bit about the, the Irish and the NFL. It's kind of a new segment that Mason and myself started last week um, with the start of the NFL season. Just think it's kind of fun to keep fans up to date with some of these guys that have, you know, not only in the NFL, but producing at a high level in the NFL. And I know, Tom, you're obviously very close with a lot of these players still that are there. So you, you have some good insight here. But um, before we get into a few of the players that had big weeks, I do want to mention a couple big news points for Notre Dame guys in the NFL. Jalen Smith is now back in the NFL on a practice squad with the New York Giants. Um, Nick Martin, who was waived by the Saints um, after the season or after the preseason ended, is now on the Commanders, Washington Commanders 53 man roster. Um, I think their starting center um, is out with an injury, might be out for the year. So they they picked him up. And then Isaac Rochelle, I don't know if you saw this yet, Tom, but he just got activated to the the Browns 53-man roster off of their practice squad today with, I think, Javion Clowney's out tomorrow. And um, Winovich just went on IR, so they called up um, Rochelle to the 53. So a couple news points there. Um, so a couple guys that are getting their shot again. But um, these are the kind of – these are the guys I circled – um, for their for their um, performances this past week. Um, Adi Ogundeji had a sack and six tackles for the Falcons. It looks like he's starting for them, which is pretty big. Um, last week, he didn't have too big of a week, but, you know, anytime you throw a sack in there, that's always got to be an, a, notable, a notable thing, even with him being, a, what was he, a fifth or sixth round pick last year. So um, the fact that he's having some some good moments for them is awesome. Um, I think Jeremiah Usukormo is going to maybe be on this list weekly. Um, last week we highlighted him for his play, but he had nine tackles, two tackles for loss and a forced fumble, um, for the Browns and their crazy loss to the jets, unfortunately, um, wanted to mention Kurt Heinish for getting his first tackle for loss, a guy who made the 53 man roster after not getting drafted. I think me and you are probably two people that are very unsurprised by that with the kit, with the motor that that kid has. Um, yeah, just a really, really good guy and a really good, like just a guy you want on your roster. Yeah. Um, I guess is the best way to describe it. Drew Tranquil um, had a really good first week with an interception, um, followed that up with seven tackles and a QB hit this following Thursday against the Pat, Pat Mahomes and the Chiefs. Um, Harrison Smith had 13 tackles, which is crazy because I, I were you on the beat when he was on the team? I forget. Oh, that was right before me. Yeah. Right before you. I mean, that that kid was, was fun to, to watch as a Notre Dame fan. I mean, I know he didn't have the – the career starting out like in the Charlie Weiss years um, that people wanted. He was kind of like Drew Tranquil where he started out at, you know, started out at um, actually, no, he came in as a safety, then moved to linebacker, then moved back to safety. And I think in Tranquil's place, he, you know, he started out at safety and then finally kind of transitioned to linebacker and stuff like that. So similar body types and, and career paths for them. But at this point, I think Smith's a borderline hall of famer. And then you had uh, Julian Love, who kind of iced the game for the Giants. Um, he had eight tackles, two tackles for loss, a sack, and a QB hit. Um, so, so a big game for him. And then the only other guy I wanted to highlight, he didn't have like a crazy stack day, but Kyle Hamilton, um, I guess, graded out as the top rookie defender in the NFL this past week, which is pretty impressive, um, especially considering that <laughs> Tua threw for six touchdowns. So that kind of surprised me. Um, and I, I've always been a little curious on the PFF stats and how they kind of grade guys out, but you know, they, they make a lot of money for a reason over there. And so they must be doing something right. And he was the highest graded defender in the league. So wanted to highlight that at least, cause uh, I know like some people at least are going to use that as a talking point when it comes to him. And um, I guess deservingly so. So those are the guys very defensive oriented this week. Um, not a lot of big offensive numbers uh, for Notre Dame guys. 
But any takeaways? Have you kind of watched some of the guys in the NFL the last couple of weeks and thought? Yeah, of I mean, you had, you had like I think it was seven. Um, I think it was seven offensive linemen starting uh, from Notre Dame, which is kind of cool. Um, that's a pretty big number for for one program. They might uh, might go up with Nick Martin soon too. Go, yeah. So you got that. You got. I mean, Nolusu Koromoa is is a dude. I remember my dad's a big Browns fan, and I. I texted him and I just was like, these guys are making a mistake, passing on him, passing on him. And, and obviously I think that there's a lot of NFL GMs that are questioning their decisions, letting him slip. Uh, very cool to see Julian love. I mean, there was a lot of people that were going back to his recruitment that were sketchy and questioning his, his commitment early. And, and he jumped in the class early and, you know, a lot of guys were, were questioning at that and, and didn't like it and look at him now. I mean, he's a, he's, cruising into being an NFL veteran and, and uh, it's pretty awesome to see for, for a guy like that right in your backyard. He's a captain too. Yeah. And he worked really hard to build the class at Notre Dame was a captain and all that. I mean, it's captain now and it's just cool to see man, a guy like that. Great, great kid, humble kid. And uh, you know, getting a sack and I think it was like, whatever, eight, eight tackles, I think total. So good for him, man. That, that was, that was probably my big thing. Just really good to see two guys that were, um, I wouldn't say written off, but but pretty underrated when when Notre Dame took them and and to see him now competing at the highest level and and really being playmakers on defense is it's great to see. Yeah, the two guys, and this kind of takes you back probably a little bit too. And this is maybe before you even knew who I was, um, or you knew I existed even. <laughs> but uh, um, Julian Love was one of the first guys I remember you being like super high on. And, and obviously he hit and it, and then the other guy was Kevin Stefferson. And I know obviously his career ended up being what it was, but I remember him being like, you know, the three-star guy. And I was on, I kind of lurked onto the, the message boards, never really said much, but I remember you always saying, man, like not only does the staff love this kid's potential, but trust me, this kid's a stud. And I always remember those two specifically from a three-star standpoint. And it and it really made at least in my opinion you you the guy to follow um, on the on the Notre Dame beat specifically from a recruiting standpoint and uh, and yeah no I mean those the so seeing love like you said succeed at the level that he is 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 um, is probably not is obviously awesome for him but I'm sure cool for someone like yourself who you know kind of you you beat down the door for that kid as well I think on the Notre Dame I mean that one's cool like Julian Love was an easy one for me I mean I didn't understand why he didn't have a bunch of offers I mean watched it I went and watched him work out and the way he you know he ran and the way he moved like um so smooth a really good player on both sides of the ball he had he had plenty of height plenty he had a good kind of thick body like it didn't surprise me um Stefferson was a a no-brainer man I watched that tape and, and we had him as a mid-range three-star, I think he was like, when he first hit the, hit the recruiting sites and everybody kind of slapped like an 85, 86 on him. And um, I just, I didn't get it, man, because this dude was crazy talented. And then he comes to like the Irish invasion and I'm like, okay, I, everything he did is, is backing up exactly what I expected. And um, you know, Mike Denbrock was absolutely loved this kid and thought he was, they were like, you know, don't, don't rank him any higher because we don't want to lose him. We don't want him. And it just, it's, it's really sad how it all kind of played out and um, disappointing because that kid, if he just would have stayed on the straight and narrow um, would have made so much money. And I'm not saying he's Devonte Smith, but there was like some, there was, there was bits and pieces about his game that, that gave me those kind of vibes and, and he could run, he could catch crazy route running, um, just a, an absolute dog, um, mentally. And it was just, it was tough to see, man. It was really, I, I just would have liked to like looking at crystal ball and see how his, how his path plays out. If he, if he just would have, if it all came together for him on and off the field. And, um, that's one that, man, there's just, how would have been cool to see, but, but yeah, Julian's a good story, man. And, and for Notre Dame, like great evaluation on J Jeremiah. Um, he had a handful of offers and they pushed really hard for him. Thought he was, uh, an elite prospect when, when he was a three-star and, and, you know, like I said, he only had a handful of offers, but, um, that is a tremendous, you know, a tremendous evaluation because he's going to be in the league and on your guys players of the league for a very long time. Yeah. Now going back to the Stefferson stuff, man, I, I think if he stayed at Notre Dame and didn't get into the trouble, he would have been a first round wide receiver and going back you, you said you didn't have it in front of you. I just looked it up. He was, he finished on the 24 seven composite 
number 601 and the 94 receiver in the country. And guess what? On 24 seven sports, it's worse. So I, I hate to bring it up, but it, he was the 128th wide receiver in the country. Um, didn't have a ranking. So didn't have him like 601 or whatever it was. And he was the 114th ranked player in the state of Florida. So yeah. obviously like you could argue they got it right when it, right, 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 right. <laughs> but you nailed it. Yeah. It's not, I think if you could make that adjustment after like year one, then, then you would have saw a different ranking, but uh, yeah. man, that's tough to see, but you know, I uh, wish they could be best, man. And then you brought up Jeremiah Wusikormo and it got me thinking, and this was maybe a, a, a highlight of Kelly's that I found. And I know we're going to transition transition to this a little bit because I do want to have a little bit of recruiting chat with you before we get you off. But one, one thing I appreciate, I mean, this is actually a, a pro Kelly thing. And I think, you know, me, I'm not one that like hates Kelly, like some Notre Dame fans do. They did a really, really good job of finding guys late in the cycle. And I don't want to say guys that like everybody else had an offer on because you mentioned Aroostu Cormo. He was sort of a late bloomer. He didn't have the offer list that some guys did, but he also was like a borderline four-star, you know, like a high-level three-star guy. And obviously we see what happened to him at, at Notre Dame. But, you know, you look at like Myron Tagalovoa, Amosa. He was a guy that got sort of late in the cycle from Hawaii. Brian Pullian did a good job there, kind of stealing him from Vanderbilt. Um, and, you know, obviously had a great career at Notre Dame you know, you can kind of go down and down the list of guys that they kind of got late in the cycle. And a lot of those guys have been hits. Maris Leofow, I think is a guy that's going to be a big hit for them. And he was a guy they landed late. Um, obviously JD Bertrand kind of landed him late and he was a four-star guy, but like not, no, no one really thought he was kind of a four-star guy, I guess. And, you know, led their team in tackles last year. So they, they've done a fairly, and I'm sure you can go down the list even more than I could, but just guys that they've landed late for whatever reason, They've done a pretty good job with get with those guys hitting, and um, I, I, I mean, I guess you got to give Kelly credit for that. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of the same thing when people were having the meltdown about about Dante Moore, and um, you know, even other guys. I'm just like, let let the process play out a little bit. Like these guys haven't even started their senior year. Guys are going to emerge at all these positions, and um, and I was saying, like, especially at the quarterback position, like there's guys out there that we haven't talked about that only a handful of schools have offered, um, maybe even guys that are committed right now. I mean, I've kind of teased a little bit at Irish Illustrated that Notre Dame has been evaluating a kid committed elsewhere. I'm not at liberty to put out the name quite yet, um, but it's a kid that I really like, a kid that um, I don't, again, don't want to give too much information, but I just, I feel like if Notre Dame offers this kid and makes a run at him, get him on campus, things like that, could eventually flip him. I think you're, this is going to be another one where people say this was another good job of getting on a guy that maybe they didn't know about early because they were so focused on Dante, who had given them a silent commitment. So they really didn't focus on that guy. And then they branched out when he went elsewhere and they started paying attention to this kid in the summer. Like, I feel like you're going to look back and be like, this is a guy, another, another moment where they evaluated a kid down the stretch, was able to flip him, pick him up, whatever the case may be. Um, and again, I think he's a guy that, that has like that, you know, not to overuse the word, but that dude potential, um, that fits in at Notre Dame and a guy that, that will surprise a lot of people. So, you know, we'll kind of see some, see, see what happens there, but it's just, I don't understand the early meltdowns, man. Like people haven't even started their senior season yet. Like guys mature, guys grow, they get better. They, they, I don't know. I don't, I don't get it, man. There was another kid that, that, um, they were recruiting landed at Stanford a couple years ago. Um, from California, I'm blanking on his name. I think he's now starting a tight end for them. And and oh, um, why am I Yokum or something? Yusek or something? Yeah, Ben Yurasek. And again, he he's a guy that is climbing up draft boards for the next couple of years. Um, another good good evaluation by Notre Dame and a couple other schools. But it's just this: the staff can evaluate, no question about it. But um, we'll we'll see what happens here at quarterback. Yeah. Well, and Ian Book is a good example of a kid that, you know, they didn't really land their top guys at the position that cycle and they get Ian Book and now he's the winningest quarterback in Notre Dame history. And, you know, I know that that's sort of a weird term to throw out there sometimes because I know, you know, there's a lot of people that feel like Ian Book or at least the Notre Dame offense with Ian Book left a lot to be desired. Um, but that's hard to blame Ian Book for that. I mean, he, he, I think he laid it out 
his, I think he reached his full potential um, at Notre Dame. And for a kid that was a, you know, a mid middling level three-star who was committed to Washington state before Notre Dame. I mean, I think he's a kid that had a pretty successful career. I'll never understand Ian Book's slander, man. I will. He won so many games and I get it. Like he, he lost some big ones too in the playoffs and whatnot, but like, like who cares? Look at the big picture. They weren't going to beat Alabama or whatever the case may be um Clemson but like look at the big picture of what that kid did for this program kept them kept them in the limelight kept them winning a bunch of games kept them winning 10 games every year like won them some games they probably shouldn't have won I don't get it man (laughs) I'll never understand the the hatred the negativity toward a guy like Ian Book man that guy he's an all-timer man that that he needs to get a lot of respect for what he what he did in other name and this might be a story for a different day, but I hopefully hopefully we're not getting that way with Buckner because I I have a feeling that people are already, yeah you've seen are, it yeah people are turning on him and the kid started two games in his career and I think the unfortunate part there is he is a kid that's lost a lot of developmental time due to injury which is unfortunate so maybe it doesn't maybe it doesn't fully work out for him not just at Notre Dame but in general because of that but man I and I know you're on, I know you're on this too so I feel comfortable saying it with you but. Like that, this is a kid that even with the slow start to the season with this offense, if he didn't get hurt, I think by season's end, people would have been very, very on board with him. I think he was a kid that was the confidence was just going to get better. I mentioned this the other day that if the offensive line played like they did in the second half, specifically against Cal and Buckner was the quarterback against Cal, Notre Dame scores more than 24 points and it might be in the high thirties. That's just my personal opinion on it. And that's nothing, that's nothing against Drew Pine. Cause my other comment was that Drew Pine was a kid that the offense is going to get better by default because everybody else is going to play better. So there might be some people out there that are like pining for Drew Pine, no pun intended. And um, because of the stats are going to look better, but the it's easy to say, okay, Drew Pine played better than, 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 um, than Tyler Buckner. But it's, if you look at the bigger picture, like you've said, you know, what did everybody else do? The offensive line gave him time. The running game was effective, not just outside of Buckner's legs, but with the actual running backs. Um, I think the, I think the offensive weapons outside of Michael Mayer and the running backs are going to start, you know, getting better as maybe Tobias Merriweather gets involved and Lorenzo Styles gets a little bit more comfortable and stuff like that. So Anybody talk about this for days, but anybody um, writing that dude off or, or acting like his story is finished. Like he is not a guy I would count out. And there's going to be a lot of people regretting the things they've said through three weeks uh, about Tyler Buckner. The only unfortunate thing is if he ends up transferring somehow because he gets beat out Uh, and he goes somewhere else. And then people are like, Oh, it's because Reese can't develop a quarterback. That's going to be the the narrative that happens. (laughs) Um, unless CJ Carr works out right. So, um, but Tom, I, w- I was originally going to get into some maybe Jeremiah Love and Tayshawn Lyons or whatever. I don't think we need to get too much into that. I think you've kind of written a bun- enough about that on your, on Irish Illustrated. Um, I mean, I think moral of the story is, is Notre Dame's heavily involved with both. They have a decent chance with both. Maybe they land both, maybe they don't, but those are probably the outside of maybe a quarterback. Um, those are kind of like the guys to look for. And then you know, you've mentioned several times that they're in on some some edge rushers that, you know, you just kind of have to see how that plays out um, as the season goes on. So I, I don't know if there's much recruiting talk here to go. go there's on. really not. I mean, I feel better about Tayshon Lines than I do about Jeremiah Love. That's been the case for weeks. Nothing really changed coming out of Love's A&M visit and Lions' Notre Dame visit. So uh, I do think Washington's a little bit more in it for Lions than, than most people were giving them credit for. Tennessee's a dark horse with Love. I just think that the longer this goes, and I said this is like, you know, we'll see what happens, but um, Notre Dame's in a very good spot. They're in there probably in the top two, but um, I just, I have not been told enough to crystal ball into Notre Dame. So at this point, I, I have them finishing runner up. So fair enough. Fair enough. I guess we'll find out shortly. So, all right, Tom, thanks as always for, for coming on. I know you're a good friend of the pod. You've been on our spaces. Like I mentioned, you've been on the podcast before. I'm sure we'll have you on again. Um, specifically in the off season, maybe when we're talking a little bit more recruiting, cause that's your, that's, that's the Avenue. I know most people know you for, but um, go ahead and real quick before, before you go, where can people find you on Twitter and, and, and in the, uh, the Notre Dame football world? 
on the, on the interwebs. Um, yeah, definitely swing by 24-7 sports, irishillustrated.com. We always got some pretty good specials going for new subscribers, but you can follow me on Twitter at TomLoy247. Don't really do much on Instagram, but Twitter is Twitter's the move anyway. And always enjoy jumping on the Golden Homers podcast and the and the spaces, which are always a, a hoot, especially with the uh, like leading up to the Ohio State game. That was a doozy. So um, yeah. and always, always appreciate you having me on and, and catching up with you and Mason. Absolutely. We appreciate it as well. And for whatever reason, if you're following us and not following Tom, I don't know what's wrong with you, but please go follow him. If you listen to us and, and, and don't have him on your, uh, your, your Twitter follows yet, do yourself a favor and follow him and, and definitely sign up for Irish Illustrated because it's the best recruiting content you'll find. Um, you can find us at, at Golden Homers, pretty simple, nothing else to it. You can find me at Nathan underscore Urbach. And even though Mason wasn't here, I'll still plug his Twitter as well. You can find him at Mason Plummer underscore um, obviously, you can find us on Anchor, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you find your podcast. Go uh, go and support us with a rating and a review. Um, we we, uh, we much appreciate that kind of stuff. So um, outside of that, guys, we'll see you next week. Go Irish. Over, and the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Second goal for the Irish at the timeout. Williams right to the right side. Powers to the end zone. Look, low snap, picked it up, takes an end zone shot, and finding McKinley goes up and gets it, and it is a touchdown. Welcome back to another episode of the Golden Homers podcast with your hosts, Mason Plummer and Nathan Erbach.